Um, today's class is dedicated in memory of Morris Isaac Mizrahi al-Shalom. Um, Moshe ben, ben Naomi, whose yard site is actually today, today. He's a humble man, liked to fix things, liked to help people, fix things for other people. He had a nickname, Groucho, I guess. Um, and he passed away a long time ago, 34 years ago, but he was a young man at 61 years old. And today's class is dedicated by his wife, um, Jenny Mizrahi, and his children, Nancy Rishti, Ellen Shalom, and Lisa Bailey, three sisters, who are wonderful sisters. Some of them participate in this class. He was close to his daughters and very close to his son-in-laws. They were like the sons he never had. So it's a tremendous honor for our words to be an elevation for his neshama. We're close to, to his daughters' families, and we hope, as Rat Hashem, that this many years later, his soul is still elevated, his grandchildren still remember him and understand the ideals he lived by. And, you know, yesterday I was talking to someone whose father passed away 15 years ago, and I said to him, I said, you know, your father's still very much alive in you. And I hope as Hashem that in his grandchildren, his children's daughters, his son-in-laws, and his grandchildren, uh, Mr. Mizrahi is very much alive. Belt Shweet today's class is also dedicated for the Fwashlema of a man that I grew up looking up towards, and that's Charlie Saka, who just celebrated his 80th birthday. Um, Yoshua ben Lora, Charlie Saka to deal is, I don't know, Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Charlie Saka is the, the, the strength, the power, the support, the energy, the enthusiasm for this town. In such a in such a beautiful way for so many decades, and he's built so much of the infant him and his children have built so much of the infrastructure of this town. So Charlie, we love you very much. Like I said, we've been close to you and your family for many, many years, from my father to myself, to my siblings, growing up in the West Hill area. And Bizat Hashem, Hashem should give him many, many, many more years of health and happiness. And his family should celebrate his 90th birthday, 100th birthday, 110th birthday with, with birachah, with ease. Amen. Okay, now we're ready to go. There's who's, who's uh, Sibulah? We have the Shabbat. She in the back. She has all the holiness. What? The Zerah Shem Shon. It's a uh, fantastic Sibulah. What do they have to do on Shabbat? You have the book for them to learn? You have the book for them to learn? Yeah, I have the book. You just talk in the back. She's Miracle Lady. She'll help you out. Okay? I'm not making jokes, mother. I'm making jokes like it's jokes. I've asked her to pray for my children, pray for different things. And Baruch Hashem. So she's, uh, she, has, she delivers results. So if you want, talk to her on the way out. Yeah, and her brother-in-law lives in Israel in Smat and, and prays for you and turns the world upside down. Okay. So, this summer, I feel like, for a lot of people, has been the summer of fun. Everybody's out and about. Things are more full than they've ever been. There's weddings all the time. Looks like everybody's house is under construction. Um, people are giving charity on Thursday nights, Friday mornings, Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. Um, 
And they said, our car seems to be in bigger amounts and in a robust way. The community seems to have this summer, have a very strong energy. Maybe it's because we spent 18 months in a cave and we're ready to get out. And when people mention anything about the future, we just ignore them. I don't know, Delta is an airline to me. There's nothing to do with it. There's nothing, nothing, I don't know what it is. And no one here wants to hear about it. And no one wants to even think about it. So Baruch Hashem, it's been, it's been like, it's felt like the summer of fun. But not for everybody. And I think that underneath many people's smiles, there's pain. And I think there's a lot more of it than the vibe on the streets feels like. And I think there's a lot more thinking or worrying or nervous or scared or even sad minds than the town we live in makes you feel like. Because the town feels like at times that it's on wheels. But the reality is for a lot of people, their smile is a lie. So who are those people? How do I know who that person is? Who is that person that really deep down is struggling with something way more than they'll admit? As we're moving through the book of Devarim. And one of the famous pieces or laws in the parasha is if you go out to war, and it talks about what happens when you go out to war. And we'll, we'll discuss this law a little bit. One piece of it, which, which we'll start it with, is very famous. That if they, the Jews were going to go out to battle, they're going to go out to war. The Kohen Gadol will get up in front of the troops and say, if there's anybody here, someone built that house and didn't really move in yet, is there anybody here who planted a vineyard but didn't really get to use it yet? Is there anybody here who got engaged to a girl and didn't really get fully married yet? All of those people should go back home. Why should they go back home? Because they're what they're thinking about. They want to, we want them to be able to live in their house that they built and enjoy the vineyard they built and finish the marriage that they started. Because we want them to be able to do, we know they're thinking about it, we know they're worried about it. As the Pasuk says, you don't want someone else taking the wife or someone else taking the vineyard or someone else taking the house. So therefore, we tell you to go back home. Here's my question. Maybe the guy doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care so much if he built the house and someone else lives in it. Maybe he doesn't care so much if he planted a vineyard and someone else benefits from it. How do you know he cares? Why don't we instead sit them down and interview them and say, do you care about these things? What's the obvious answer to that question? The answer is because if you should care, it's 100% that you do care. There's no one who builds a house and wants someone else living in it, and no one who gets engaged to a girl and wants someone else marrying her. And no one else, no one in the world builds a vineyard or plants a vineyard and wants someone else enjoying it. Every human being cares. We know you care. We know it's on your mind. We know it bothers you even if we don't ask you because we know that that's what normal people do. And if normal people care about these things, the house, the marriage, the vineyard, then it's likely that you're a normal person. So you want to know who are the people 
that have something on their mind, anyone who you think likely does, it's not rocket science. The people that have something that they're thinking about are the people that look like they probably have something that they're thinking about. That means if someone is struggling financially, they care about it. Oh, but they didn't say, they don't admit it, they don't tell me. Likely, if they're going through it, they're worrying about it. If someone wanted to be married, and now they're years past that, they're thinking about it. It's not rocket science. They don't have to hang a sign on their back that says, hi, how are you? I'm looking for a guy. They don't need that in order for you to know. Someone's married for a few years without children, then they care. If someone's in a very rough marriage, then they're bothered. It's not, it's not deep. You know, the number one comment I get in our classes over the past 10 years is, Rabbi, how do you know what's going on in my life? I feel like you're in my living room. I feel like you know exactly the conversation I had with my husband last night. How do you know? I'll tell you how I know. I didn't go to any psychology school or anything like that. The way I know is just because I'm a normal human being. And what you're feeling, I'm feeling. And what would bother me, it's likely bothers you. And what bothers you, likely bothers me. So, yes, if I was a girl who's 30 years old, not married, it would probably bother me. So it's likely that it bothers you. And if I have children, it would bother me, likely it bothers you. And if I had some sibling that had a lot more than me in some way, it would bother me, it probably bothers you. That's my whole assumption. The whole premise of all these classes is just the fact that what I think normal people think about is what I think normal people think about. So no one has to go with you and say, by the way, I'm really struggling and falling apart. They don't have to say it. You know. The Torah says, walk into these people. The guy built the house. You know he wants to move in. Man's engaged. You know he wants to marry her. He'd be bothered if he didn't get the chance to do so. So you want to know what people are feeling? Whatever you think they're feeling, that's what they're feeling. Now let me be clear. I don't mean this in a Hasid way. I don't mean this in a weak way. I don't mean that they're all jealous and they're all angry at the world. I don't mean that. I just mean they want whatever you think they want. And they're bothered whatever you think they're bothered by. Did I make that clear enough? Yes? Agree with me? Yes? Good. So what I want to talk about, or already began talking about, is how we can do a better job. How we can do a better job to not be fooled by the smiles we see. How can we do a better job to not be those oblivious people that do and say the dumbest things in the dumbest times? That just because the person didn't say, I'm begging because I'm so I'm starving, I have no food, that you should know that that's on their mind. So I want to tell you a little bit more what I think is on their mind. Again, any person that you think has something on their mind, we're going to go with the assumption that they have it on their mind. That's the whole premise of the class. If you think they have it on their mind, they have it on their mind. And 
what they have on their mind is even deeper than just they're missing it. They're not just missing a husband or missing a child or missing an income or missing a relationship. There's more that they're thinking about that I think our Pesukim can help us see. See what the Pasuk says about this, and I'm going to tell you three different things that I think they're thinking. The Pasuk says, you know, sometimes in classes like this, I wish I could get some feedback. I wish someone could say to me, no, I don't know if I agree or I'm not sure if I know what you mean, but I guess we can't. So just sit there and smile. The Pasuk says, The man's afraid, the man who built the house. Oh, thank you, that helped. The man who built the house, he built, he's afraid that maybe he's going to die at war and someone else is going to move into his house. So that she says, what do you mean he's going to, someone else is going to move into his house? So that she explains it to me. And because of that, it's a painful thing for him if someone else moves into his house. One second. If the man dies, what do you think is painful for him? That someone else moved into his house or that he died? So we're afraid he's gonna to go to war and get killed and he's gonna worry that someone else moved into his house. You're joking? If he's dead, his bigger problem is that he's dead. No? What did you say? If someone said, we're afraid that this person is gonna die and be upset that the giant's lost. Huh? He's dead. So why don't we say the man's gonna to go to war and he might die, that's his problem. No, he's gonna to go to war and if he dies, someone else is gonna move into his house? Why is that the issue? The issue is that he might die. The issue is not that someone else is gonna move into his house, that's so trivial in comparison to the much, much larger worry of him going to war, going to battle and potentially getting killed. So I think that Ashbam answers this question. He's a commentary on the homage. And he says that we're afraid that this man who just built his home and now he's being recruited to war and he didn't yet live in this house. We're afraid he's gonna go out to war and think that you see, I have bad luck. That I built the house and I'm not gonna get a chance to live in it. I knew I was never gonna get a chance to live in it. And he's gonna go out to war with a thought process of I am unlucky. And the unluckiness is what we're worried about. We don't want a soldier out there on the battlefield who thinks he's unlucky. So that's what we're saying. We're afraid he's gonna think, look, I built the house. I'm not gonna get to live it. I'm gonna get killed. I'm not gonna get to live in it because I'm an unlucky person. And therefore out there in the battlefield, he's gonna think of himself as an unlucky person. The challenge you have when someone has a problem in their life is that they don't just worry about their problem. They start to wait for the shoe to drop. How many girls are there in this community that are not married at 22 years old? That's not a big deal. But in their brain, they're already 42. They know the shoe is going to drop. There are people who believe that it's like a mitzvah to think that the worst is going to happen. So they're living with that the whole time. Someone doesn't have children for three years and they start envisioning never having. So now their problem is much bigger than just the three years. In their head, it's 30 years. 
So they start to envision something much bigger. They start to think of themselves as unlucky and it's never going to happen. And that becomes a big part of the problem. So the Torah is telling you, this man who now seems to have gotten an unlucky break, we don't want him at war. Because this man is waiting for more bad to happen. We don't want someone who thinks he's unlucky at war. But the message is more important than about war. The message is that there are a lot of people who struggle in their head with thinking that it's never going to get better or it's only going to get worse. And then what happens is that for years of their life, again, girl's 22, not married. For years, she's, you know, she gets married at 24. So you're like, okay, fine, she got married at 24. No, you don't realize. For two years of her life, she was not married at 42 years old. Because during those two years, she thought that she was ancient because she was waiting for that shoe to drop. I'll tell you another thing that's going on in their minds. Is that very often if someone is struggling with something, they get confused. They get confused because they hear a lot of things. And those lot of things become very confusing to them. Pasuk says, when you're going to go out to war, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be weak. Don't be afraid. Don't run away. Don't run away from the enemies. And she says, what are all these words? Don't be afraid. Don't run away. Don't run away. And he says the enemy would do all kinds of tactics. The enemy would have their horses, the sounds of their hoofs coming. The enemies would bang their shields. The enemy would make sounds with the trumpets and the enemies would scream. And they'd have all these things happening at once, the horses and the shields and the trumpets and the screams. And that would frighten the Jewish soldiers. So the Pasuk says, don't be weak, don't melt, don't run away, don't be afraid. All different terms for all the different type of fears that someone can have. But you know what's interesting about all these fears? They're all fake. None of them are real. Doesn't say you can see an enemy with a gun. Says you can hear them making sound with their hopes or banging their shields. What happens often to a person who's going through anything is that there's a lot of confusion in their head at the same time. A lot of voices, a lot of hoofs, a lot of shields banging, a lot of advice, a lot of different things thrown at them. They don't know what to listen to and who to hear. And often you'll have someone that's going through something, someone will give me advice and they'll lash out. You'll be like, well, what did I say wrong? I'm just, I'm just helping. I just have a suggestion. Date this guy. No! Why are they lashing out? They're not lashing out at you. They're lashing out because they're confused. I still remember I, the first year of my marriage, I lived in Israel. And we had a baby. And then quickly after, my wife was expecting again. And we were debating whether we should move back to America or not. We were studying in Kuala in Israel. And I still remember that Pesach time. Everybody had an opinion. Parents, in-laws, brothers, friends, people I know, people I don't know. You should move back, you should stay here, Hatch, Israel. You know, you should move to Brooklyn, move to Deal, move to Lakewood, buy a house, sell a house, have the baby, have the baby in Israel, have the baby here, have the baby in Israel, but have a birth here and go back there. And you're a citizen because you were born there, but no, you could go back and you could come back and revoke the citizenship. And then maybe go back and maybe don't have the baby, have the baby wait for the baby, have another baby, whatever. And I was like, I still remember not one of those people were bad people. 
But I was so confused. I was a young guy, so confused. So a lot of times, when someone is struggling with something, assume if they're probably struggling with it, if they look like they should be struggling with it, they probably are. And if they are, A, they're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And B, they're hearing so much that's confusing them more. It's like sounds, it's the sound of, of shields banging into each other. There really isn't anything so bad. It's not so scary, it's just shields, it's just noise. But noise, that just compounds the story. And then there's a third thing they're dealing with, which is a class we gave a few weeks ago. Again, fear of the worst. They're basically living in the worst. Confusion. And then number three is guilt. Any person who has any situation in their life that they don't want, they have guilt associated with what they're dealing with. See, there's a mitzvah at the end of our parasha, nothing to do with war. There was a dead body found outside of the city. It's called Eglarufa. The rabbis, the leaders of the city, have to do something to atone for the problem, for the fact that there was this, that there was this death. And they say the words, we didn't do it. And she says, what do you mean rabbis didn't do it? No one thought that the rabbis, the Bethi, commit murder. What do you mean we didn't do it? Says Rashi that we didn't see him and forget to escort him out of the city. We didn't do anything that maybe caused it. A lot of times when people have a problem, they think we did it. I did it. I did it. It's a mistake that I made. I don't have the income I'm supposed to because I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or no one wants to marry me, or no one wants to marry my kids because my family isn't good enough, or someone's not healthy because I didn't do something healthy enough, or I wasn't good enough. There's a ton of guilt that's often associated with this problem. So you have a person walking around with a challenge, they're afraid, they're confused, and they feel guilty as if it's all them. I'll give you a very real example. I don't know if you heard this story, but on Saturday night there were about 20 kids in the community, 10th graders from a couple of high schools that were sitting on a beach innocently around a bonfire. And someone poured, I don't know if it was gasoline or kerosene or something, and in an instant it exploded. And the fire caught on to three girls, burned their hands, some of their face. You didn't hear the story, so maybe I shouldn't have said it. Okay. But anyhow, that story had happened. And I could, you know, they're students of ours, some of the kids. So the next day, I spoke to the families of these girls and then actually spoke to some of the girls, some of those three girls. And then that night, Sunday night, a few of the students called me and said, Rabbi, can you come give us a class? And what was odd to me is that the girls who it happened to were less traumatized than the girls that it didn't happen to. That means the girls who had burns on their face and their hands, and like I said, Bezat Hashem, they're all going to be okay. Two of them out of the hospital, I think one is coming out today. Bezat Hashem, they're all going to be okay. But those three girls seem to almost have a stronger spirit than the girls that nothing happened. The fire just missed them. And they didn't do it. One person, and I don't think it was the person that did anything ill intent, one person probably was a mistake, poured something, and then it happened. 
But the answer is, we go instantly to guilty thoughts. And the kids who nothing happened have more of a guilty thought than the girl that it happened to. So, when you think someone is going through something, they're going through it. That doesn't mean they're hazik. That doesn't mean they're weak. That doesn't mean that they're a sob story. But if you think it's bothering them, it's bothering them. And compounding the problem is the fear, the confusion, and the guilt. And all of this is why most of us do nothing about it. You know why we do nothing about it? Because we see someone else's problem and we feel completely powerless. I look at this person and I know that they're nervous and they're confused and they're guilty and they feel guilty and they don't have whatever it is they need to have and they don't feel like they're ever gonna have it. So I look at that person and I'm like, I have no idea what to do. So I just do nothing. I'll give you two types of examples that I feel personally. Being the rabbi in the shul, almost every morning after Shacharit, there'll be someone here, a man, a woman, from Israel or somewhere across the country, with a paper in their hand, telling you about this sad story about their life and how they need us to raise money for them. And you read the story and every time your heart just wants to collapse. They're $30,000 in debt, $70,000 in debt, two children that are not well, they lost their husband, they can't afford to help their other child that's not well, their mother's in the hospital. Like you read these stories and you're like, you can't even believe they're real. And almost every day, someone comes in one of these papers and I look at the person, they want me to do something, I'm like, I have no idea, like, uh, what do you want me to do? Make an announcement, raise $300? Like, what, what's $300? It's, it's like a joke. $300, it'll get you back to Brooklyn. What does it even do? It's, it's a joke. And I look at them, and I feel like there's nothing I can do for you. So you know what I just want to do? I want to not even notice that they're there. I want to just walk right by, because I can't save them. There's nothing I can really do for them. $300 isn't anything. I had a man who came here this, yesterday morning with a whole breathing machine. He came 6 o'clock Sindichot, 7 o'clock prayers. Rabbi, please. I said, we don't raise money. We don't make announcements during the week. I said, oh, he says, but could you talk to someone for me? I said, okay, maybe there's a couple of people who I can talk to tomorrow. He says, Rabbi, please, I'm going to come again tomorrow. I don't know the guy from Holy Wall. speaking English, speaking Hebrew, speaking, I don't know what. And sure enough, he comes today and I had an exhausting night last night. So I'm exhausted, not even realizing he's here. And then also at the end of prayers, he comes over to me and says, can you speak to some people? So I call a guy over, the man gives him $20. I call another person over, the man gives him $10. Like all I did was just further disappoint this man. Now he wants, I'm like, where am I going? I'll give you a second example of when I feel it. The second one is, is all the time, People come over to me, a father or mother, and say, do you know any guys? My daughter's single. Do you know any guys? Rabbi, you have to know some guys. There's good. There's some good guys out there, Rabbi. You know guys. Cash, academic, you know guys. Do you know any boys? And every time I want to say, yeah, I know like half the boys in the community. So do you have someone for my daughter? 
I don't know. And I hate it every time. Because I do know a lot of boys and a lot of girls, and I should be able to make matches. And my mother knows how to make matches, and she's been doing it my whole youth. My whole childhood, I'm watching my mother make matches, and here I know these people, I know those people, and they're coming over to me with hope, and, and I'm really somehow, it's just not my thing. I don't know, my brain doesn't do it. I don't know why, just, I'm not good at it. I don't know. I can't swallow pills, and I can't make matches. Do you know I can't swallow pills? I cannot swallow pills. That's a true story. I don't want to tell you how old I am, but I cannot swallow a pill. Not even a little teeny, teeny, weensy, weensy, teeny. A little Advil, I can't swallow it. It won't go down, it spits right up. And I can't make matches, I don't know why. It's like, not my thing, but like, I should be able to. I know people, I like people, I care about people. I just can't, so every time someone, a father texted me yesterday, Rabbi, please, I want to sit down with you and talk about my daughter, maybe a good boy for my daughter. I just didn't respond to the text, because like, I, I, I don't know. And I think a lot of us walk around our community and see people that have challenges that are obvious, that if we're honest with ourselves for 10 seconds, we know it's there. We know what's on their mind, and we know all of what's compounding their mind. Like we said, the guilt and the fear and the confusion, and we know what they're missing and how much it's bothering them. We know they're human. We can make an assumption. If you're human, this bothers you, so probably they're human and it probably bothers them. The problem is, we don't know what to do. We have no idea what to do. We don't know how to respond. We don't know how to react. We don't, we don't know how to solve the problem. We don't know what to do. But I think there is one thing we can do. One thing that we can do so much better than we're currently doing it. Something that can help much more than you think and something that every single one of us are capable of doing. And it's likely that most of us are not doing it nearly enough. The one thing that we could do when we see a problem, whether it's a man from Israel who's coming with a mess of a family situation and he needs millions of dollars to get back and all we have in our pocket is a $5 bill. Or if it's a girl who's single or a person whose father isn't well, or any situation that someone has a challenge that we know they have. What we can do better is we can care. We can show that we care more than we do. We can show that we're there and show that we care. And I want to tell you what got me to give this class. And I didn't want to start off with this because I thought it was too sad. Over the last month, a couple of weeks, this community buried two older single girls. Maybe you've heard the stories, maybe you didn't. One was found in her apartment, passed away in her high 30s, and the other one's apartment came crashing to the ground. And the truth is that I almost feel like Hashem's talking to us and saying there are girls out there that have needs and we don't care enough. I don't think we respond. But what am I supposed to do? Really what they need is a husband and I don't have husbands in my back pocket. I understand. But we still can show that we care more. And we can still show that we're there for them more. And I feel like 
maybe we don't do it enough. And maybe we don't send that message enough. You know, all I do is complain about the cell phone and the iPhone, give classes about it all the time. But there is one blessing that comes with the cell phone, the modern cell phone. And that is you could send a three sentence text message to somebody and change their day. Which means you have changed their day capabilities in your pocket at all times. You know when you're bored and you say, let me play a game or let me read an article? If you would choose, instead of reading the article or playing the game or checking out some story, if instead you'd think of somebody that could appreciate a three sentence text message, you can change their day. No, not change their life. No, not give them a husband or heal their father, but you can change their day. You can. And the challenge is, you know, going to pay a shiva call to one of those houses, and this happens all the time, I'm a rabbi, so there's like even a higher expectation that the rabbi is here and he's gonna like do something. So I come into the shiva house, and pretty much in my head the whole time is, how do I bring this girl back to life? How do I bring her back to life? How do I solve the problem? And the reality is it's a ridiculous type of thought, but most people have that thought. How do I say something that solves the problem? You don't say anything that solves the problem, but you can say something that shows that you associate with the problem, that you care about the problem. Not that you think that they're hazit and that they're weak. Be careful. But that you care. How you doing? You look great. That was fantastic. We're thinking about you every day. If that's what they want to hear, the fact that we are, that the little things that show that we care. The word that we use in our Hebrew language, the word that we use for sort of associating with someone else's challenge is nosebeo. Nosebeo means you're like carrying the yoke with them. What does that mean? I'm carrying the yoke with them. What it means is, is that I care, I'm sharing what you are feeling. I'm not solving, I'm not changing, I'm not replacing, but I am sharing what you're feeling. And the slightest nuance can show it. Another law in our parasha, in this week's parasha, there's a judge, and the judge is told, when you judge, you can't play sides, you can't have favorites. Therefore, if you have two people that are in a dispute against each other, you can't have one of them stand and one of them sit. Because the one who sits will think that you don't care about him as much as the one you make stand, or maybe the opposite. You don't care as much. Those little nuances. I'll give you an example. Five months ago, I was in a cashier meeting with a bunch of, bunch of women teachers. And they said, let's do a class this night. I said, I'm not sure we could do a class that night because maybe some of the teachers are busy. That's all I said. That night, I got a text message from one of the teachers. She said to me, Rabbi, thank you so much for what you said today. I said, what I said? I don't remember the meeting, nine hours ago. I said, what, what, what I said? She said, you were sensitive to what I'm going through. I said, what I said? She says, you said that maybe we can't have the class at night because some of the teachers are busy. 
says, you see, I'm married for 15 years and have no children. You didn't say that maybe they're busy with their kids because that would have hurt my feeling. Instead, you just said, maybe they're busy. And I appreciated that sensitivity. Little words show you care. Little words show you care. It doesn't have to be rocket science. Don't be fooled and say, oh, I didn't know anything was on their mind. They had a smile on their face. Are you serious? Are you really don't know what people are thinking? If you were them in that situation, what would you be thinking? That's what they're thinking. Well, not gory thoughts, not jealousy thoughts, not weak thoughts, not depressed thoughts. Just if you were there in their situation, what would you be thinking? That's what they're thinking. And then they don't want you to fix it. They're not, they don't expect you to be a surgeon to save their mother's life. But they expect you to care. I once heard a nice mashal from the Hafez Chaim. He says, there's two people sitting at a table. And a third person asks, can you please pass the grape juice? One person just sits there and doesn't do anything and just ignores it. The other person picks up the cup of grape juice, passes it to the man, it trips on the plate and spills on his shirt. Which man is worse? One person sat there and just watched, did nothing. Didn't help, didn't hurt, didn't do anything. The other person picked up the cup of grape juice, handed it to the person, the cup tripped, and spilled on the person. Which person is worse? Everyone agrees the first one. Even though he didn't cause any harm. The answer is, if you're trying to show you care, and every now and then you slip up, it happens. But if you're sitting there and you don't even care, you're my friend, you don't even text me, you see me, you don't even encourage me. You don't even give me a nice word, a nice strength, a nice something. I know you can't fix the problem, but you're not even there to show that you care. You know, I'll tell you one thing and we'll conclude in a couple of minutes. In speaking to one of the mothers of the girls who got the fire on the face, on Monday, she called me, she says, I want to tell you a beautiful scene that happened in the hospital last night. She said, my daughter's in bed. She has casts on her hands. And her face is red, like it looks like an extreme sunburn. And I said to my daughter, you want to go up and go visit the other girl who's down the hallway? You're really not supposed to, I don't think. Long story short, she got up, walked down the hallway, and walked into her friend's room sat on the friend's bed, and they both started hysterical crying. And then they said to each other, should we go to the third girl? The third girl had it a little worse than the first two. They go into the third girl's room, I think her father was there sleeping. The mother like kind of just lets the father wake up. And the girls go on, they see their friend, they sit on the bed, and all three of them cry together. She says it was such a moving experience. No one's face got fixed yet. No one's bandage got removed yet. But they cared about each other. You know, the house that I went to on Sunday night to give the class, I saw the father last night. And he said to me, he says, I heard all the kids' questions to you. Like, how do you answer the questions? The difficult questions. Hashem, this, what he picked. All those kinds of questions. I said to him, I said, you need to understand. 
they're not expecting perfect answers to the question. They just want to know that Hashem cares about them, and they want to feel that I care, and if I, the rabbi, cares, then that means Hashem cares. All they want to do is be soothed. They don't need to get all the answers. They know that some of these questions are impossible to answer. Why does Hashem pick this one over that one? But if you care, and you sort of reflect the fact that Hashem cares, you solve, that's all, that's the best you can do. And you know, if this is true on the street, it's definitely true in your own home. Because you know why? There are sometimes there are mothers who don't even do a good job in showing their daughters that they care. And there are sometimes daughters who don't do a good job with their mothers. And sometimes children don't even know how to show their father they care. And sometimes fathers don't know how to show children. And sometimes wives don't know how to show husbands. And husbands don't know how to show wives. And as much as this is true as some person that you bypassed on Norwood Avenue, it's much more true about someone who might be sitting across the couch from you in your own home. And this is why the Gemara writes, in Masechet Baba Metziah, you're going to want to remember this and tell your husband this. Amar Rav, Rav says, a person should be careful with the pain of his wife because, because tears are easy to come by and because of that pain is easy to come by. Be careful that you don't ever generate tears. Now what does that mean? Guy says, I didn't know I said anything wrong. You're supposed to know. What you think is on her mind is on her mind. And the Gemara then even says that if a person treats his wife with respect, blessing is in their home because of that respect. The only reason that Beracha is in a person's home because the husband treats his wife with respect. Abraham was blessed because of his wife. In fact, I once heard someone say this, this thought that I. Chava was cursed. She was cursed a bunch of curses. Child labor, baby, whatever. And she was also told that she sort of has to be somewhat subservient to her husband. Man was given one curse, that he has to work hard. So the rabbi said that if the husband can take away one of his wife's curses, that means don't make her feel so subservient and don't make her feel belittled to you, then Hashem will take away your curse that you won't have to work as hard. If you could take away hearts, God will take away yours. I said this in a class the other day, this morning here in Shul, someone stopped me and said, Rabbi, he says, I just got a call from my camp. He's out of a job right now. I just got a call from my kid's camp that they're not gonna let my kid go back to camp unless we pay the tuition. And I spoke to my wife, what happened it was a misunderstanding. We should have paid the debt. But I talked to her and I said, you know what? I'm gonna talk to her as calm as I can, even though she might have made some mistake and there was some frustration. He said, because I know what's on her mind. I don't have a job right now. It's more confusing for her. It's more feel for, fearful for her. There's more guilt in her head. So I said, you know what? I'm just gonna speak calm. He says, we, get, we sent the camp the money, whatever. He says, an hour later, an hour later I get a phone call from two random old customers that want to buy the junk that I have left over from my old job. He says, Rabbi, it was junk. I don't think anyone would ever want to buy it. He says, just two people 
separate people, each one wants to buy garbage from me and pay for it. He says, right after I treated my wife with respect and with care. My point here today is this, is that I hope we're all having a really fun summer. Because we are. And Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of happiness out there. But don't be fooled that by everybody's smile means that their heart is smiling too. Don't be dumb enough to think that. Realize that if you think someone should be feeling something, they probably are. With all of the compounded thoughts that we describe throughout this class. And therefore, what do I do? How do I save this man in Israel from all of his problems? How do I get this girl married? The answer is I can't. But you know what, if I get up in shul for that man, and I say there's a man with a strong need, please, man, give, don't give a dollar, give 10, give $20, give what your heart can, and I give him $500 when he walks out, I didn't solve his problem, I didn't even do a little bit of solving his problem, but I showed that there was a shul that cared. So if someone is single and not married, if I go to that father's house knowing that I'm not gonna have suggestions for his daughter, but if I go and I talk it out and maybe I say some ideas, even if I don't know if they're gonna work, at least I show that I care. So don't be intimidated by other people's challenges. Don't be thrown off by the fact that you know somebody else has a problem. It's likely, you know what, most of us do. Most of us have something in our mind. Maybe it's not extreme, maybe it's not a statistic, but most of us have something on our mind. If you know me, you should know what's likely on my mind. If I know you, I should know what's likely on your mind. And no, I can't solve it. And no, I can't fix it. And no, I can't replace it. And no, I can't change it. But I can show that I care about it. Thank you.